And what can we do really to keep everybody safe? That's that's a huge issue. But you mentioned something else and you said, you know, we here we are in the islands. We have to make sure it's not just something related to heat, you know, like somebody having a heat issue, a heat stroke or having some sort of a problem because they're not staying well hydrated. And that may be something that we might see more here than some other places in the mainland just due to our our weather and our geography. Tell me about how would you know if somebody's just having a problem with it just being too hot and they're not replenishing enough fluids and electrolytes? What what does that look like and, and what can you do? That's a really good question, Kathleen. Um, in regards to the, if it's a football player, man, that's that's a hard one. We, again, have to take a look at the mechanism of why a person is down. If you saw that they were hit in the head or somebody else saw that they were hit in the head, we're going to have to suspect a uh, possible head injury, too. But if there wasn't anything like that, for instance, I mainly work with cross-country runners that have the proclivity towards heat illness, then I'm going to say, well, cross-country is not a not a contact sport. It's doubtful, uh, though not completely impossible, uh, that it's a head injury. It's more likely going to be a heat illness type injury. And with that, then as I watch them, as I watch them run, a lot of times I have to wait to see when they finish or if they should be staggering towards the finish line, then that's almost a, we probably got to get them out of there. So if, if at the finish line um, or at the finish of a practice, they're just falling apart, meaning they're sweating, they're lying down, and they're just not responding to anything, then we will need to check on them, see how they're doing. Um, and if they're not snapping out of it, then we're going to go right to treatment pretty quickly. And treatment uh, these days, besides just trying to cool them down with wet towels or ice bags and core areas, we put them right into a small tub that we might have on the sidelines uh, or make a small pool on the sidelines and just try to cool them down as quick as possible. Uh, and that's both American Heart Association guidelines as well as our own National Athletic Trainers Association guidelines that we have. Now, along the lines of prevention, how does somebody know prior to starting their practice if they've hydrated enough? I mean, here we are. I often think back to high school, and again, not that I have a lot of athletic experience in high school, but, you know, you go from class to class. You sit in these classes for an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. You have a few moments to get a drink of water. You kind of have to sneak a bathroom break in there. You've got lunchtime, but if you're going to be doing a cross-country track practice and you guys would go, what, five, who knows how many miles, Right. how do you stay hydrated? What could a student do to stay hydrated during the day and still maintain a regular class schedule? We try to ask our kids, and whether they really listen to me or not is well, is always an interesting uh, subject in and of itself. But we ask them maybe to carry a water bottle with them, uh, drink it uh, liberally throughout class. And then uh, maybe the most practical way is check the color of your urine. If it looks like it's practical kinda, for anybody, yeah, no matter athlete dark, or not, sure, right? Darker in color, you may have some issues of uh, needing to hydrate more. If it's clear or just slightly yellow, then maybe you're well uh, hydrated. Along with that, we want to see how much rest are they getting. Some some of these schools that uh, load on the academics, you know, uh, hearing kids only getting four to six hours of sleep, you know, that's not helping the situation any either. And so, uh, We've got to consider that as well as um, if I were to go back from cross-country back to uh, those of my colleagues, and I do want to give them a shout-out for just having to take care of the things that are a lot harder with the football players. You know, they're not only dealing with the contact. They're not only dealing with the heat. They're dealing with the equipment, too. And so as we try to uh, acclimatize 
uh, the athletes to the heat um, and the contact. The contact, well, that's good form kind of stuff. Uh, the heat, uh, we want to climatize them with the equipment uh, by trying to put out some policies and procedures of, hey, first couple of days, we're just going to go with helmets only. After they've accl- uh, acclimatized, we'll go with helmets and shoulder pads and then shorts. And then after that, we go with the full gear. But to uh, say first day of first day of practice uh, after a long, hot summer that you haven't been doing anything, to put on full pads uh, and go out there and, and practice and hit, that's kind of setting kids up for a failure and, and, and injury. Sure. It's something I wouldn't have thought about. Make sure that, you know, the gear, which can also make you hot or can, can put you at a greater risk of just getting so physically fatigued without getting enough rest, that's another issue. And you're right, maybe more for a football team versus a basketball or cross country or a volleyball or something else along those lines. So it certainly is something to consider. Now, you mentioned another really important point, which is maybe not doing anything as athletic over the summer. And so now you get a school year going, or even for those people who are weekend warriors, you know, they're not, they're working all week, then they decide they're going to go play a pickup game of basketball or soccer or football or baseball over the weekend. They also have to be careful because they haven't been doing something all week, kind of similar to the students who haven't been doing something all summer. There's a way to get into it. Correct. I mean, if you can uh, get in. For instance, my wife uh, does a little bit of workout uh, at lunchtime, and then she kind of uh, makes up for the eating by eating it, you know, while she's working. I hope I'm not getting her in trouble for that. <laughs> I don't know. But, You'll find uh, out when you go home tonight there, buddy. <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, if you can maintain some kind of uh, uh, workout, uh, some kind of cardio, or even some resistance training throughout the week, whether it be as simple as two or three times a week, or maybe as much as five times a week, then that just increases uh, the likelihood that maybe you will be in better condition to do your weekend warrior type activities uh, without as much of a risk of injury. Granted, uh, that that's no guarantee, but it is hopefully a, a lowering of that risk. Absolutely. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Sam Lee, athletic trainer at Hawaii Baptist Academy. And we're talking about ways to stay safe when you want to go out and be athletic, whether it be in high school sports, whether it even be younger than that, Or whether it be as you get older and you like to go participate in some sports with your friends, even on weekends or on holidays or hopefully during the week. If you've got a question, you wanted to know an answer to how you can know how to stay hydrated, how to prevent injuries, give us a holler at 941-3689. Toll free from our friends in the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, we mentioned another thing earlier. You mentioned one of the goals of athletic trainers, Sam, is to prevent people from having injuries, but also to treat them when they do. And you mentioned overuse injuries, meaning, you know, a lot of people might say, hey, my ankles just hurt a little bit. Why don't I still, quote, train for the marathon coming up in a few weeks or or do something along those lines? What are the classic body locations of overuse injuries? And how can you not do that? I mean, obviously, don't overuse it. But, you know, I mean, what are the common locations and how can somebody – participate in a big event like a marathon, and not injure themselves? Well, those are uh, excellent questions in regards to overuse injuries. For the ones that I see many times, it will be uh, for our basketball and volleyball players, uh, the knees, a lot of patellar tendonitis. For our runners and even for our uh, court sport players, maybe a lot of uh, shin problems, 
Uh, people call them shin splints, and it could be different things that anywhere from medial tibial stress syndrome to uh, maybe even a stress fracture. Uh, for those who are more upper uh, athletes with upper body type overuse problems, you get your shoulders and your elbows, uh, pro- chronic problems there. And so I think a lot of it is just working with somebody who, uh, hopefully an athletic trainer or, or another healthcare professional, who would know and can personalize, well, what are you doing on a daily basis? And can ask you, well, what things can we cut back on? What things do we need to work a little bit more on? Is there some flexibility issues that are adding to the problems? Um, I'm finding that with a lot of the youth sports athletes, many times it's because they may be running from, oh, I'm in school practice here with us at this school, and then I'm going to a club practice for the same sport or a different sport right after. And then I've got to go home and do homework, and then I'm getting this much sleep, and then just, I mean, the overall body is getting tired just from that schedule alone. I'm tired hearing it. Yeah. <laughs> and And yet... Um, it, it, it's happening out there. And so uh, even if we know the answer to it and we're, we're sharing that answer with the students or maybe with their parents or with their coaches, um, it, it takes some, uh, uh, I'm not sure if the word is willpower or some determination to say, no, this is, we need to rest now and, and then go from there. And we'll work other things. For instance, a, a somebody that has shin splints, uh, shin pain, uh, constantly, chronically, uh, but wants to run cross-country, what can we do for them? We'll have them come into our athletic training room. We'll have them do planks and core and ab work. We'll have them ride a bike where they're only using their upper body and maybe their good leg, or if their both legs are bad, we'll have them use just the upper body. We want to keep their cardio conditioning as much as possible. Or maybe we take them over to our weight room where there's an elliptical and the stresses of the pounding on a pavement our lesson because we're just kind of going elliptical, but we're kind of getting the movement of a running uh, form with that. So that's kind of some of the ways that we try to deal with the overuse injuries. There's also the treatment. We usually use um, ice uh, to just try to alleviate some of the pain, uh, alleviate some of the inflammation. Um, It's not really within our scope to say, hey, we'll go start taking uh, this or that drug. Although uh, people get themselves in trouble with that. Just this past weekend, there was a, something in the NFL where the Drug Enforcement Agency was going to uh, raiding some of the National Football League athletic training staffs to see if there were, uh, I guess, illicit drugs or something or other. Or even prescribing on. something and suggesting exactly. a high dose of something that would be a doctor who would normally recommend that, sure. Well, you know, ice is like the best all-natural nature's anti-inflammatory. You know, we always hear if you sprain your ankle, follow the the rice formula, rest, ice, compression, elevation, because ice actually can be a natural anti-inflammatory. And you don't need a prescription for it. You just need ice, literally, (laughs) you know. And in all the different forms, many times we have two whirlpools in uh, in our athletic training room, and you can fit quite a few intermediate kids in, into those little tubs there and, and uh, just ice them down after a workout. Now, you mentioned something pretty important, which alluded to like cross training. So if you have an injury, let's say it's one of those shin splints, you know, those mm-hmm. that irritating, tearing sensation in the anterior aspect of your leg. It doesn't mean you can't be active. It means maybe you need to give that particular leg or your legs 
a break. Work on doing cardio, you mentioned, with planks or with doing some other type of an activity that will help keep the rest of your body in condition and keep your cardio going. That's something that you don't even have to be in a sport to do. Anybody who realizes if I'm just running all the time on pavement and I now have sprained ankle or, or stress fracture or shin splints or even just foot pain, do your activity in another form. You mentioned an elliptical or some other sort of an alternative so you can keep in shape but not re-injure yourself. Correct. And, you know, uh, many times uh, I think the athletic trainers, because they see all these different forms of trying to stay physically active, even in the midst of injuries, uh, it may be somewhat new to the athlete or to the parent or to the coach. And like, oh, that's nice because I don't want them in complete rest and then try to come back because then they could injure themselves again. They may be at higher risk for injury then because they haven't even kept in condition the whole time. Sure, re-injury of a previous injury because they've been off too much. Now, the other thing I'm wondering is, do people stretch enough? You kind of said flexibility is an issue. Are we stretching enough? Are kids, before they do sports, getting enough stretching? Is it something that we're emphasizing enough? Hard to say, um, but there seems to be many times... uh, We'll just have uh, somebody complaining of a groin injury or a hamstring, and then we put them on our table and we try to put them in a stretch position like, wow, you really don't seem very flexible. And that kind of tips us off into why they're they're in the athletic training room in the first place um, and, and hurt. So we will try to work with them on their flexibility. And even before working with them on the flexibility, uh, we will try to, I probably even need to do a better job of helping them to warm up well. Just go jog for 10 minutes. Warm up the body before you even stretch. And because sometimes... Interesting. Warm up before you stretch. Yeah. And when I was growing up, it was just, ah, go stretch. Go, go static stretch. Nowadays, it's, the research has showed that, hey, we probably need to warm up even before we stretch. Otherwise, when we stretch, we're going to hurt ourselves. Sure, it's not as effective. Right. Okay. And so you warm up, you stretch. And with the stretching, it's uh, more than just a static stretch to hold, pull your leg up behind you. It's maybe move, moving and uh, doing like those uh, soldier walks where tin sold toy soldiers. And, and you're stretching both your hips and your hamstrings, and you're really getting that working well, uh, stretching well, even as you're moving. And that's new because I always thought of stretching as you stand there, you put your leg up on a bench or something. And again, this is why I was never really an athlete. But I mean, it certainly means something different when you're doing a stretch with movement. That's, That's something I wouldn't have thought of. How about when you're done, when you're finished the activity? Now that you've warmed up, Technically, you're done. Um, should you be stretching then? Is that effective? That's an excellent point. You should be stretching afterwards too. But at that point, you can go ahead and do more of the static stretching, the whole put your leg up and, and stretch gently like that. Um, and so uh, athletic training and physical activity and knowing how to do it best without injury has really evolved for us a lot. I think I find myself when I go out and do stuff, I'm still doing some old style stuff of stretching before running. I'm like, oh, oh, hold on a second. You know, you're not practicing what you preach. Yeah, if your students catch you, you're in trouble. (laughs) They're going to be like, hello, trainer Lee, that's not what you told me to do. So, yeah, I I mean, it's really been an exciting time to be an athletic trainer, to learn about those different things, to help people. And and yet, you know, it's interesting, uh, Kathleen, 
um, the profession of athletic training is such that uh, there's possibly because of the name, possibly because because of its newness. Uh, we've only been around since the National Athletic Trainers Association has been around since 1950. It's only since 1990 that um, the American Medical Association even recognized us as an allied healthcare profession. And so uh, the general public many times will say, who are you? Why are you doing this? You know, are you a doctor? And it, it makes it a little bit difficult because we're trying to help, but uh, with lack of awareness, lack of education, we're, we're kind of held hostage in how much we can do for somebody because somebody's questioning us right up front. And so we're really thankful to be able to work with other healthcare professionals. We're really thankful to be able to work with doctors who um, they know sports medicine, they know about concussions, they know about heat illness. I was really thankful recently to be able to um, get in touch with a uh, Dr. Rachel Cole, who helped us from Queen's Sports Medicine, who helped us with our Safe Sports School Award in order to help um, uh, win that award by getting us different information to put together in our comprehensive athletic health care package. We actually, as part of that Safe Sports School Award, we have to practice some of that with our coaches. Um, so when we had our coaches meeting, all right, everybody go up into the gym. All right, if a situation it's the busiest day of the year, the biggest competition of the year, and somebody falls in the stands, and it looks like they're grabbing their chest. You coach, you coach, you coach, you go call 911, you go get the AED. It's outside in the hallway in the red box in the cabinet. Bring it over to me. Situation one. Situation two, oh, somebody got upended. They go down into the ground. They landed on their head. They're not moving, and they say they can't feel anything. You, coach, go down to the athletic training room, grab me my spine board. You, coach, call 911. Or somebody breaks their arm against uh, the stage area and there's an open compound fracture. You, coach, go get my splint kit. And you, coach, go get a couple of towels. And you, coach, go get call 911 and let's take care of this uh, and let's practice this uh, as often. Well, I don't know how often we can practice it, but if I can at least do it once a year, I'm thankful. Then, then I've got all those coaches on my side and not freaking out when the accident happens. Sure. Practice is really one of the important things. That's why they do, you know, fire drills and all these sorts of things, because if you make it second nature, it'll work. We'll be right back in just a minute. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with athletic trainer at Hawaii Baptist Academy, Sam Lee, and we're talking a little bit about how to be prepared and how to be safe if you like to play sports or if you have kids, grandkids, or loved ones who do what can you do to make sure that you're safe and they're safe, no matter what's going on? You can join our conversation at 941-3689. Toll free from our friends in the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. You know him best probably from The Daily Show, but he is an actor and an author as well, working on his cultural identity. What is it to be a South Asian American man? You know, what is that question. That question is constantly in my work. I'm Kai Rizdal Asif Manvi. Next time on Marketplace, we'll have the rest of the day's business news and the numbers from Wall Street as well. It's from APM. This evening at 6, following The Body Show. In the dry cool of her steel and glass rental with a full-time cook and gardener, she felt like one of those infinitely pampered child pharaohs 
like King Tut's sister or something, awaiting internment in the Valley of the Kings. I'm Cynthia Nixon. Join me this week on Selected Shorts from PRI, Public Radio International. Tuesday at 5 p.m., following Travel with Rick Steves. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Sam Lee. He is an athletic trainer at Hawaii Baptist Academy, and they have just won a National Athletic Trainers Association Safe Sports School First Team Award. And this is a a bigger deal than I thought, Sam. I mean, you know, when I hear about what it took to have this certification and to win this award, it's not just to say, hey, we have a bunch of policies in place, but to actually prove that you're collecting the data, you're practicing those policies, you're actually practicing what to do in case of an emergency so that, God forbid, something arises during an event, you guys are all on board and you have that whole system set up. I really like the idea when you mentioned right before the break that, you know, you practice it and you get everybody up to the gym and say, here's what we would do in the following scenario. Because that's really when people understand their role in an emergency, it makes a huge difference whenever something were to arise because they've already had that familiarity of, okay, so you would be the one saying this is what I need and other people would be getting this equipment for you, coaches or other folks included. That's how you would be able to prepare for the emergency. You don't want it to happen, but you also don't want to have something happen and have everybody go, well, I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. No, what do we do? So really it sounds like in a situation where there's where there's a sports event, athletic trainers would be there and you would kind of be the medical person on the scenes in the absence of anybody else there with you. You're kind of the guy or the girl should this should it be a should it be a woman who really is there in case an athlete gets injured. I, I think you're correct in that statement. It's, it's a little bit um, humbling. It's though, daunting. For, for you know, it's like, daunting, hey, you're it, buddy. Humbling. And I think as a young athletic trainer, that really scared me. Nowadays, it's like, well, I don't know that anybody else really knows anything, so you might as well say something. Sure. And um, and I found that communication is really important. Um, uh, we're there right at the scene. We've seen what's happened, and we need to communicate that well to the people that can help us. Hopefully we've prepped them well beforehand, and that's an ongoing process because many times uh, even my people that are nearby working with us are like, Sam, you're going to take care of all of it, aren't you? Like, no, we as a team are going to take care of it. And so if we as a team are going to do it, then we all need to practice. And so that's still something of an ongoing challenge, I think, for any athletic trainer. Uh, There's also the challenge of working with other medical personnel that might be coming, say, emergency medical services comes. Have we dealt with them well? Uh, Do we know how to communicate with them? Um, uh, That's why the emergency action plans are really important and to try and go share it with them. I'm not sure that uh, we've always done as good a job as we can, but we're still trying. Um, We've been uh, in touch even with not so much HBA, but also some some of my colleagues in the profession, we've been trying to touch base with some folks in the UH Medical School. Uh, the Queen's Trauma Team uh, d- did some medical simulations, and we were able to show them some of the things that we do in the pre-hospital setting. And then we asked them to show us, well, what would you do with this situation once it's gotten to the hospital or is in transit to the hospital? Um, and, and so that's been, again, a real exciting time. We talked a little bit about AEDs, and uh, it's been interesting because... Quite a few years ago, 
the HHSAA, which stands for the Hawaii High School Athletic Association, decided that, um, I think in a grant with uh, HMSA, uh, Hawaii Medical Service Association, they decided to um, put AEDs, automated external defibrillators, uh, with the different athletic programs, and then the athletic trainer would monitor that. And to get that, they had to train at least 10 other athletic staff to do that. And that was really important to me because at the school that I was at at the time, Castle High School, we had a gentleman, right before that mandate came in, we had a coach, an assistant coach at a baseball tournament in Maui. He went down, collapsed. um, This is the coach. This is the coach. And it just so happened that the Maui High School athletic trainer who was right there, even before it was a mandate, he had already been thinking ahead. He had gotten an AED, and he went ahead and uh, used it, saved the gentleman's life. And then that's when the mandate came. And now it's been about 10 years. Some new things have happened also where the AED has come into place. In February, Louise Inafuku, who is the president of our Hawaii Athletic Trainers Association, actually had to use it on one of her coaches out on the baseball field at Iolani and uh, saved his life. And so... You know, they were probably at the point of saying, oh, do we really even need AEDs in the school? And then, boom, that happened. Actually, that was the third of three situations that had happened within the last year that they needed it. So, you know, how much is the price of a life? Absolutely. I have to say, you know, we've had some folks on talking about AEDs in the show. And, you know, they really are simple to use. I mean, they're meant to be simple. It's funny because shout out to all the EMS personnel because yeah. I'll be honest, I've been around in the community a couple of times and somebody has a problem and 911 is on their way and you're the doctor so you go to help out. And I know as soon as an ambulance arrives, as soon as EMS arrives, I step back because they really do know what they're doing. And they know better than I do the doctor who practices on the stable people in the office who always show up with good blood pressure and everything else. You know, they know how to handle the urgent emergent situation. So it's important for me even as a physician to say, hey, step back. If you're not needed and EMS is there, they have a really good handle on this. However, if they are not there and you have the knowledge on how to use an AED or even if you don't, you just know where it is, go get it. Because it's simple. It's designed for anyone to use it. I see them at the gym all the time. I see them around the hospital. I see them at the airport. We've really made this much more accessible to folks. And you're right. One AED can save a life. And you never want to go ahead and restrict the number of AEDs that are available thinking, oh, I don't need it. Oh, it's not a big deal. Because you know that's the time you're going to wish you had it. And you're right. How much is it, is it worth to save a life for the person who has received that life-saving shock? And it really is life-saving. The sooner you can go ahead and what we call defibrillate someone, the greater the chances are that they will survive significantly. Then, you know, that person can tell you that it's worth whatever that device costs. And they're not that expensive. I mean, you can get a good one these days. You can even, I think I saw them at Costco a while back. Like 2000 you can buy amazing things at Costco. and and that's for a device that could save a life. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. When you think about what we spend money on, it's not a lot to go ahead and have that available, but never be afraid to use it. Now, I'm curious, you mentioned that one of the challenges is also when you guys go to other facilities, that you have to kind of know what's available. And so when you go to these other facilities, when your team travels and goes to another location, is that one of the things you look for? Where's the nearest AED or do you bring your own? Or how do you assess a new environment 
for a team that you are the athletic trainer for? What do you look out for? Well, I think maybe I'm a little bit geeky in that way. I do what I call. We like geeks here. That's okay. I mentioned that when I go to either our own gym or other people's gyms while everybody's watching the game and, and trying to see who's scoring well and playing well, I look around and I look for who I think might most need to have the AED used on them. Or, even in the stands, yeah. you mentioned earlier, even in the crowd, yeah. somebody could have a problem. It doesn't have to be the student athlete. It could be anybody. And then I'm looking at where my coach is at and will they hear me if I call them and point to them. And then when I go... Uh, to another facility, then uh, if, as we mentioned here in Hawaii, there are athletic trainers at other uh, schools, then I can touch base with them and say, hey, I just wanted to know where this or that is, and and if an ambulance should come, where should they come in from? Mm -hmm. And we might talk and and ask about that beforehand. Um, We may not always get to that in time, but the more I can do that, the more I can remember to do that, the more I can help my colleagues remember to do that, the safer it is for everybody. And so um, we've all been asked to write venue-specific emergency action plans. So even if I forget to ask them, I know that they've already thought about it at some point in time. And then if I have to ask them right then on the spot, because of an emergency, they would know. Sure. Now, you mentioned a couple of dramatic rescues earlier with the AEDs. What are some of the, in the last let's say six months or so, what are some of the times when you have been called up to the forefront in the midst of a game or a practice? And what was the scenario and what did you do? Ooh, last six months. Um, well, I'd say last oh. week, but I don't know. I mean, that's putting you in the hot seat. Okay. I'm just wondering, the last few months, was there any particular scenario yeah. where you had to intervene? And if so, yeah. what what was that about? Well, um, so let me mention two scenarios in this Oh, that's sense. even better. I thought you'd <laughs> okay. have trouble coming up with one. The first Let's one was it. that we were the host for a cross-country meet out at Ka'a'ava. That's a mile farther uh, farther up towards Kahuku than Kualoa Ranch. There is no water available to us there. It's a hot day. It had been during that span of time when it was 90 degrees with no wind or anything, and we got to host an athletic trainer meet there. And so I'm telling everybody and their mother, please bring water. And uh, so there's a lot of water, and we're thinking through how we're going to take care of people. Thankfully, that day, nothing happened. But I'm, I'm putting out the emergency action plan. I brought my little AED because we know that being out there also, the closest ambulance is probably, probably 20 far. minutes away, whether it's from Kahuku or Kaneohe. And so I'm just... I think I'm about ready to have heart palpitations thinking about taking care of people that day. But things came through with flying colors that day, no problems. Now then, another week, uh, I think there was a meet over at Punahou, and a gal, one of the better runners that we normally see, she looked like she was really struggling. I don't think she finished the race. We took her off, um, and we wound up treating her for heat illness. We put her in a little small tub and uh, uh just tried to bring her temperature down. She was fine. She wound up doing really well the rest of the year and at the state competition. But to know that we had a part in that, it wasn't just one athletic trainer. It wasn't just her school's athletic trainer. It was everybody that was there that knew, you know, hey, this is what we're going to do. If we see this kind of situation, boom, they did it. And the girl seemed to be fine. Well, and you bring up a really good point, which is that whole team approach. You mentioned first in Ka'ava, no water access. So you put out the word, bring some water, and you wound up probably having more than you ever needed, but better that it was available than to not have that in case of an emergency. Correct. And so in that case, I imagine you put out the word to families and other people who were coming to the event 
um, or even to the other athletic trainers, bring the water. And then the second time you mentioned that, again, a team approach. It was another team. And yet all the athletic trainers, you guys kind of worked together and said, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we can keep people healthy. It sounds like really the issue is not so much whose team is it, but there's somebody who needs help out there. And we want to help them regardless of where they come from or which side they're on. We just want to keep everybody there as healthy as possible, enjoying the event. Yeah, we're just trying to serve uh, the folks there. It, it matters not what team they're on. Although as their athletic trainer may come to the scene, we'll always defer back to them. Off sure, to absolutely, them. sure. Yeah. Now, what do you think is one of the biggest misconceptions of athletic trainers? You talked a little bit earlier about people not knowing what role you play. Hopefully, this show will educate some folks about why you're there. What are some of the biggest misconceptions? that you've experienced as an athletic trainer? Well, I think that I might even have some family members, especially with the language barrier. I'm second-generation Chinese-American. They think, are you a physical education teacher? Are you what? Are you a coach? Uh, what are you? I'm, um, Wonderful to you, have your family so supportive, <laughs> you know. Who are you and what are you doing? Um, gotcha. And I, I realize that some of that is lost in the language barrier, but um, I think even with within the same language, uh, people have a hard time fully understanding what it is that we do. And that's why I appreciate opportunities to come here and speak. We help with the prevention, treatment and care, and rehabilitation of injuries, uh, usually more in a athletic setting, but it can be in any setting. I don't think that we're necessarily bound by uh, that term, uh, athletics, uh, especially as we see people uh, as athletic trainers working in the military or working in the performing arts or industrial uh, settings um, besides the traditional college and pros and high school settings. But again, high school setting is one that I uh, is passionate for me because that's where I work. That's where I was given many opportunities in Hawaii. And I'd like to see that expand nationally because, again, only th- less than 40% of high school kids, of which there's a huge population playing sports, uh, have access to uh, athletic health care like that. Well, and here in Hawaii, how is it different? Every public high school has a full-time athletic trainer. 100%. 100%. And then of our private schools, um, many of our larger private schools will have athletic trainers. Our smaller ones uh, may not, and we are trying to help them out best that we can. The University of Hawaii has a graduate program where they send some graduate assistants to certain schools also. As of 2013, though, we there was a bill that was passed, uh, a law put in place that says you need to be registered. Now, besides nationally certified, you need to be registered with the state. Before 2013, you could call yourself an athletic trainer. Oh, and I couldn't any person, fool anybody. Trust me. Anybody I don't could, think they'd trust me, but okay, yeah, I understand. But anybody so could call themselves So now there's a certification there's, process. Yeah. So there's a, a state registration that says you need to register with the state, and you can't register with the state unless you're nationally certified. And so with that, we're hoping that um, people will understand the importance of athletic trainers. All right, time to get the word out. Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing your expertise with, expertise with us today. Sam Lee is the athletic trainer at Hawaii Baptist Academy, and also thanks for sharing all your knowledge. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week. We're going to talk about some more health issues Monday at 5 on The Body Show. Mm-hmm.